David, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. We are in the midst of a big ice storm in Lexington, Kentucky. It's kind of crazy. So hopefully where you're at much warmer and nicer as you're listening to this, but it's been, we've been kind of cooped up in our houses lately, right? I mean, we've had a big, you know, global pandemic and we were just talking, David has four kids. I have three kids. And so cooped up is that kind of brings it to a different level, but we're talking investments. So like, do you think being cooped up in our houses like this, like, do you think that it has an effect on people and even something like their investments or how they invest or what are your thoughts on that? I think it clearly does. I think if you look at downloads of Robin Hood and Schwab, I think it, people want an outlet and they're using that outlet as day trading. I mean, I've never had so many conversations with friends of mine or random questions about stocks or the market before. So I think that people are looking to do something and for better or for worse, that could be buying individual stocks in their portfolios. Yeah. We were talking about this as well. I actually, my first experience investing was in 1999 and I was I guess, 14 or 15 years old. I'm surprised my parents let me do this, but I was day trading on an E-Trade account and buying tech stocks or dot-com stocks or whatever. And if you've followed investments, that was the dot-com bubble. And you know, I don't know how everything shakes out this time, but in that situation, there was a ton of stocks that got big time hyped up and overvalued. And then you know, I invested in them <laughs> after they had grown and then they all dropped. So I always joke about it. I invested my entire net worth at that time, which was only a few thousand dollars, but hard earned money and lost pretty much all of it. And so today it, it kind of reminds me of it. Is it the same now or what's, how's this compared to the dot-com bubble? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, show that story. We, I have a very similar first investment experience. So when I was in high school, I graduated, I think in 99. I got a friend of mine to open up an account for me in E-Trade. I wasn't yet 18. And so I, he opened an account under his name. I got some money from him and my parents and some other friends' parents, and I invested it. And then I doubled the money that I got out. I didn't stay what? in it. So I know, I know. Me. I've always been a, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm weird like that. I didn't get too greedy. So I doubled everybody's money and that was enough of it. But, you know, we haven't been in an environment, I think, since then where everyone wanted to trade as we are in right now. So I think that's the best example of where we are today, where, you know, everyone wants to trade. And, you know, I've talked to people that have said, you know, I see people, you know, that are, you know, posting on Instagram or wherever else, and they're just making money and they're buying stuff. Like, how is that possible? And this, it's not, right? I mean, you know, it's true today that the commissions are lower, the ask spreads are lower. So the implicit cost and the explicit cost of trading is down. But, you know, it just scares me, right? You know, you, see, you saw what happened in GameStop, AMC, Bitcoin, who knows what's next? I think it, it creates this false confidence among people where, you know, the bubble bursts eventually. It's really just only how long until it happens, right? Yeah. So most people are like me. I'm kind of like average dude. So basically I gave my money to David, right? <laughs> Effectively, yes. You gave me your money. Thank you for that. Everyone that I invest with me appreciated that. But That's where it I, went. But, but and I think that that's the problem. You know, you know, people don't realize that for every winner, there's effectively a loser, right? I mean, as long as the markets are going up, I guess you know people can kind of win, but eventually they go back down. And I think that's where you know you're already hearing these incredible stories of people that lost tons of money on GameStop. I mean, sure, people made money, but on average, people are going to lose money because you know the, those few folks that got in early saw these huge gains, but everyone else lost their shirts. And I think that's part of the problem with people that day trade is that too often we like to report our winners. We don't talk about our losers, right? Yeah. What? So how does that differ from, so I'm sure everybody has heard the market goes up, you know, it's historically always gone up and- Every year it goes up, you know, 10% a year, right? Always, every time. But long-term, you know, it should most of the time go up. But, you know, if 
maybe I'm just a little smarter than the market and I'm buying stocks, I, I can beat the market. So like, but can I beat the market? Is that, I think a lot of people think that they can beat the market that don't. And if you look at, you know, the research better than anybody, but I, you know, my understanding is you look at the research and they don't beat the market. And, but even if they thought they did, and usually that's one of those things you got to learn through failure, but like, how do you on the front end wrap your head around that and not be that guy that learns like me through failure and instead just kind of listens to, to someone like you? Well, so a few things. So I don't even really time the market. I would say that my, I could count on one hand the times I've gone in and try to buy or sell a security. So like, I'm not like a day trader because I've met the enemy. When I went to business school, I met guys that run hedge funds and these are like the smartest people you've ever in your entire life. So I don't want to trade against them. Okay. So yeah. the key is like for everyone out there that trades, there's a winner and there's a loser. And, you know, the winners out there, if they can even do that, are the ones that, you know, manage billions of dollars, have infinite resources. You don't want to bet against them. Like you're the sucker at the poker table, right? And to your point, people that invest don't always realize that they're actually losing money over time. And so I think that it's just really hard, right? To, to think that I'm smarter than average, I can do this. But, you know, and so my one kind of thing is I'm okay with it if it's like a tiny account. Like you couldn't used to like buy slices of stocks, you know, it was a pretty big commitment to buy and sell securities back in the day. You had to like actual buy shares. Now you can buy these like tiny slivers. And so I think it's okay to do it if you want to learn more about investing, but I would take a long, hard look at yourself before you start trading, you know, most of your portfolio, your 401k, things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think. And then you can learn through experience like, like I did, but not on your retirement account. And instead just kind of on a sliver of your portfolio. The feeling I get, I don't know, I've been to a casino or a horse race. We're in Lexington. So, you know, the horse track. And if you've ever made kind of like a little bit bigger than you probably should bet on a horse or at the casino, you get that like feeling in your stomach or whatever. I don't know. Some probably chemical gets released and makes you kind of get hyped up. When I traded stocks the first time, I got the same feeling. It was dead on the same feeling. And I think that's kind of interesting to look at is when I buy investments in my retirement account, I am so far from that feeling. It's not even close. Um, it's a different sort of a thing, right? So like mixing the two together is I think where the danger occurs, right? I mean, it's gambling. Like we have to be honest and call it what it is, right? If you are not, you know, in it for the long haul, if you're, if you watch the news or follow someone's Twitter feed and buy a stock. You're not investing, you're gambling. Mm -hmm. And gambling can be fun. People really like to gamble. I think it gives something to do, but I think it's important to distinguish between the two. You know, actively trading an account every day is not investing. And again, some folks make money and it can be a lot of fun. Like you can feel this high when you do it, but it can just be tragic. It's tragic on average. I mean, there's no research I've ever seen that says that the average person who day trades beats a low-cost, professionally managed portfolio. That's just a fact. Sure, and some it's not even will. close, right? It's not even it's close. Like, it's not. Yeah, like I mean, 1% or something. Right. I mean, every time you trade, even if you don't pay a commission, you pay a bid-ask spread. So you're always losing a little bit of money every time you trade. And so I think that, that you know, the role of advisors and other things is to protect you from themselves. I mean, it's really hard to not want to go out and buy Tesla when it's up a thousand percent, whenever in five years. And I think that's when people need someone to remind them that you probably shouldn't be doing this. Like it's cool if it's like, you know, a thousand bucks in a Robinhood account, but it's not cool if it's all your hard earned savings that you're going to use to live off of when you retire. Right. Yeah. And so professional advice, I think 
part of the challenge, I kind of am not the, we have some issues in our industry as I'm, uh, I have a financial planning business and in our industry, the financial advice industry, there are some issues there. So I think some people kind of get burned by that industry and kind of just go the complete other direction. I was going to read an example of kind of this sort of thing. I got an email from a client the other day and it was, it just blew me away. And so this is from a financial advisor and I actually know of the person and they talked about, I'll kind of, uh, summarize it. But basically they're like in the, in March and April, we took all of our clients to cash March and April of last year. So that was the bottom of the pandemic. We took all of our clients to cash and <clears throat> significantly reduced our exposure to stocks and blah, blah, blah. And so, and then since then have reinvested in, you know, basically we beat the market and beat the pandemic and our clients are loaded and you need to give me your money now because I know how to pick when the market is down and when the market is up, do advisors know when the market is down? Is and let's clear that up. I think because that that bothered me a lot hearing that. Yeah, so like you know, I'm I, you know I'm a pretty smart guy. I've, I have a every designation you've heard of, a PhD, whatever else, and so like, but no, like that's ridiculous, right? So like, good investing is boring. You know, you can make changes on the margin, but you know, to our earlier point about gambling, advisors do not cannot time the market with any level of consistency. So it makes sense to take risk on and off the table as your objectives change. You know, if all of a sudden you you have a client and they can accomplish all their financial goals because their portfolio is up 30%, maybe you take risk off the table. But, you know, someone that says, I can time the market because I have some kind of a strategy, like, that to me is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I think that you can maybe make little adjustments here, they're based upon valuations. But, you know, I just, I'm not you know, I'm a skeptical. I'm a big fan of low cost passive investing where you stay invested for the long haul. It, it, you know, good investing is not, it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's boring. If someone's offering you a strategy that's not boring, it's probably not the best strategy. Yeah. So let's go there. Let's go that direction. What is the most boring possible strategy we can think of? Is it a target date fund, yeah, um, a single good. balance portfolio. And like, so like, you know, I like target date funds. I like balance portfolios. They aren't necessarily efficient for each investor, right? People are different. They often have different goals, desires, but like, that's actually a good way to invest. If you put it in a 60, 40 portfolio, if you use a target date fund, those are all ways that you can accomplish financial goals. Now, I think that there's a lot of other stuff people need help with, but you know, there's nothing wrong with a target date fund. It's not necessarily optimal, but you have to weigh that against the costs of of any kind of other strategy. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a DIY investor and I don't spend a lot of time on it and I kind of want the most simplistic, easy, boring, straightforward route possible, like there's a lot of appeal there to like a low cost target date fund. Now you got to watch target date funds because, and I don't even think it's as much the strategy. It's the Sometimes the costs are hidden, built into there. And I mean, that's been my experience is now if the costs are high, that's a different story. But in general, target date funds are fantastic for kind of the autopilot sort of setup. Target date funds, by the way, they're, it automatically invests the funds based on your age and kind of rebalances over time as you get older. But it's a one size fits all sort of a solution. But how does that compare to, you know, picking your funds? Do you think, I mean, have you done research on that specifically? Like if I'm the guy that's like smarter than the average, which 
everybody says, right? Right. Individuals don't tend to pick funds if they think that they're worse than the average investor, right? You know, you don't pull the audience and say, hey, <laughs> who can't manage their own money and find that they're doing it? So I think that's part of the problem, right? Is that individuals think that they can beat the market. And, you know, I've looked at this a lot within 401k investors. And what you find is that is that they don't, right? I mean, there's, I mean, this is so important that no one realizes that there is not, there's no research whatsoever that suggests that the average person can outperform a low cost, you know, effectively quasi passive portfolio where you just kind of stay invested for the long haul. That's a fact. It's incredibly boring. It's not very fun, but that's good investing. And I think that it's hard for people to kind of just say there and not do things. I think that, you know, to your point about, you know, the advisors that time the market, well, you know, for just as many people that say that they timed it right, they timed it wrong. I know lots of advisors that, that, that went to cash and stayed there. They missed the entire rally back in 2020. So sure, some, some people can do it, but, you know, no one talks about their losers. You know, advisors that say, I did this, I did that. I mean, they might have for some of their clients, but you have to realize that just because they got it right before doesn't mean that they're going to get right it again. Like it's effectively random. No one has like a secret sauce that they can use to outperform because that's just not how investing works. Yeah. And what's interesting I have seen lately is a lot of passive investors have been kind of active on the side, they kind of have sliced and diced their stuff. So they have, you know, maybe a target date fund or, or passive investments in their retirement plans at work. And then they have their trading individual stocks in their plans on the sidelines, like their IRAs or their taxable in investments. It, I think at least my opinion is it's kind of got to be I don't understand the concept of being half and half, like half active, half passive, but is there something there to, I mean, can you be a sliver active or like, is it kind of like you either need to be all in on passive or you you know what I'm saying? You're no fun. You're no fun at all. So, I mean, I think in reality, if we were all, you know, utility maximizing robots, we would all have very boring long-term portfolios, right? No one would do that. I think that if you, I would only recommend you do it if you feel like you have to do it. And then you do it with as little of your portfolio as possible. Right. And so someone would say, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense, David. Well, I don't want, I don't want anyone effectively to be day trading their, any portfolio that they have. That just doesn't make any sense. Right. But if you're going to do it, you want to minimize the damage. You want to recognize that this is fun money that you're gambling with and that, you know, that if you lose it, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, be out on the street destitute. So in theory, no one does it. In reality, people are, you know, kind of crazy. You kind of you do it in a way that minimizes the possible loss. What I don't want people to start doing though is trading all their accounts, all their wealth, because again, that's going to end in heartache for a lot of people. Is it what is all their wealth? Like, is there a percentage? Like, is it safe to say I'll carve out like one percent of my <laughs> so the thing is one percent didn't used to work, right? You know, like back in the day when you had to buy you couldn't buy slivers of stocks, you couldn't do one percent. But I think, yeah, like I would not exceed five percent because yeah. you know, like because you you can buy dollars of individual stocks now. It's crazy. You can buy these tiny slivers. And so I'd say like the goal is as little as possible. Now, you know, the problem is that you know, people that have different you know, levels of worth, you know, for it to excite them requires different amounts, but mm. a, like the goal is minimization. It's recognizing that it, you, it's gambling. Like you can't call it investing. You're going to go gamble. You're not going to casino, but you're going to the stock market. And it's kind of like a casino in the grand scheme of things. But that's, but I think that's what we have to reiterate over and over again, that you're not, you know, you, if you think that you're going to be the next Warren Buffett, you are sadly mistaken. Right. Most people that buy individual securities in these accounts, 
don't know who the CEO is, they don't know anything about the company whatsoever. And they're trading against these massive institutions that have billions of dollars of resources that they just don't want to trade against. And so do it, but you know, minimize your portfolio as much as possible. Learn from your mistakes like me and you know, come out brighter on the end. But, I, but the thing is, I don't think people do. I think to your earlier point, like people too often don't realize that they haven't been making money. Or here's the thing, like the markets have gone up for like a decade now, right? Any idiot, it's like actively buying stocks for the most part would have made money. So if someone's like, wow, I'm really good at this. I should do more of this. Well, no, like the right proxy is like an S&P 500, you know, or whatever you're, you know, if it's a small cap index, whatever you're trading against. And that becomes a really hard bogey to beat. Like the bogey is not, did I lose money? It's how did I do versus is the market. And when you change your bogey to my account value is up to I didn't beat the market, I think people are going to realize that, hey, maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. Yeah. So if you're going to have, so take away from that, if you have a passive or like an index portfolio, like a target date fund, that's just kind of autopilot, that's great. Now, if you're active and trying to beat the market, I think what David's saying is just compare it to the S&P 500. That's a simple like takeaway, everybody should be doing that, especially if you're active, because otherwise you're just kind of, you're comparing it to just whatever you're coming up with in your mind, I guess. So a lot of times in my experience, I have found that when you compare it to those legitimate benchmarks, you are surprised. And a lot of times people are underperforming. I remember a time I had a meeting with a an ex-client actually, we parted ways after this conversation, unfortunately, but the, he had been doing his own investments. We have kind of a platform where we're still, we'll, we'll still work with people, even if they're doing their own investments, which is kind of kind of interesting to see from my standpoint, cause I see both sides, but he was, uh, what was he following the newsletter kind of a thing and for years and years and using the strategy. And I was like, we just got to compare it to the benchmark. And I, he had a positive return, but he was something like, 40% under, it was a very, and I finally just showed him, did the performance estimate on our end. And I was like, I showed it to him. And, but the problem was he got offended because it was like his thing. And I was like poking holes in it. So he, we broke up at that point. And I, my guess is he's still using the same strategy, but like what I think people, it becomes personal, I guess, you know? It's tough, right? I mean, like, that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's like you're telling that someone's a bad driver. Like, you know, you shouldn't be driving. Like, right. that's reality. No. But that's the reality, right? And I think that's part of the problem is that everyone wants to be better than average, right? You know, who wants to think that, that they can't trade the market and they can't watch the news? And, you know, I think that, you know, for people like you and me that have been done this for decades, we know how it works. Like, you know, we've taken tests and we've read books and we've done all this stuff to understand the markets. Most people don't really know what a stock or bond actually is. They can't actually describe what a stock is and how it works and what it does, but they still want to trade. And I think that's the problem is how do you, you know, how do you explain to someone that this isn't in their best interest in a way that they understand and don't feel hurt? I'm not the right guy to ask about Especially that. Especially when they don't exactly understand how it all works. Right. It's just tough. And so I think that's why, you know, you just reiterate like, you just say gambling over and over again until they say, okay, it's gambling. And, you know, but to me, where it gets dangerous is when they think that they're investing, that they're actually, they know what they're doing. And then they kind of start to use more of their, their portfolio and put it into whatever strategy they're following. Yeah. It's a, and this particular instance, it was probably, oh, it was over half of their entire, and they were, you know, several, you know, a million, like it was, they were later career and I was getting, concerned about it and how high of a percentage it was, but 
he was not in the one percent or five percent of their site. Well, yeah. So, like, I think it's like I'm. So, I'm a. I do like quantitative research. It's super boring. But there's one concept that you that you know anyone that like studies people and economists uses this idea of it's called utility theory, and it's how you it's how you quantify preferences. Like, how much do you like something? You assign these things called utils. It's pretty awesome. But like, here's the thing that people don't realize is that like like. Y- you people like to make more money and you like to have more stuff, but the moment you lose half your portfolio value, there's like no coming back from that. And all the little pings of satisfaction that you get when your portfolio goes up, you're going to be devastated if things go poorly, right? You know, like, like having a little bit more money because you beat the market when you retire, well, that's cool. But, you know, you average that out with the possibility of like losing all your portfolio and having to work for an extra like eight years, at eight, you know, at age 65, that is traumatic. And I think that what people don't realize is that the downside of doing it yourself is much worse than the upside. The upside is, ah, you know, like you actually beat, you know, the market by one or 2%. Congratulations. The downside is the market crashes. You have an undiversified portfolio and you're never going to retire. So I think that's people don't weigh the outcomes correctly as well. And that creates, I think, part of the problem too. So, so it's definitely a wild time right now, like in the market and it's exciting. There's a lot of news stories and Oh yeah, it's great. Else. Every day, like socks are up hundred percent. I want some of that. I've never had more people ask me what short selling was. And I'm also like, I'm not sure I remember what, how to explain it. And I've explained it backwards several times and had to Google it and remember what it is. Cause we don't actually, we're like strongly against using that sort of strategy, but it's kind of a lot of, a lot of, you know, sexy media going on right now. So how do you invest in that time? If we're talking, you know, the ideal, do you just kind of put the blinders on and not pay attention to it? And <laughs> yes, blinders are excellent. I think, but it's so hard to your point, right? Cause it's all over the news, you know, like, what do you do? Like, like normally, you know, like GameStop was like everywhere. Like it was on every news yeah. article. Like, and so like, I think it created this false sense of, of what people should be doing, right? I mean, in reality, like a publication focused on good investing would be incredibly boring, right? The headline every day would just be <laughs> stay invested, right? But, you know, like, but, but activity and stuff, it sells ads, it sells news. And so it kind of, it, it almost teaches us the wrong behaviors when it comes to investing. And so, you know, if we're going to think about separating out, you know, what you do, I think the key is just so much to say, hey, you know, to just to realize that, that it's probably not, the best thing for me to do to go out and buy and sell and trade every day is to leave it alone. As boring and unexciting as that is. So I think the number one takeaway kind of feeling from this conversation is boring is king. I mean, that <laughs> it is awesome, not, right? Boring, boring is, just, is, awesome. is just great. We're also too like geeks. So like we're, you know, that's just take it for what it's worth. But I mean, we bo- both spend a lot of time in the industry and it's also interesting to me when, when I first kind of came around to that idea is that the people that I respect the most within our industry, you know, with all the designations and like David, David's got all kinds of designations and credentials and all this stuff, done all kinds of research, but people like, like you and a lot of people I respect in the industry, they all kind of gravitate towards that mentality, which is very interesting to me when I finally saw that even Warren Buffett does like, you know, let's bet against the hedge fund guys and (laughs) I'll get the passive portfolio, just boring, plain Jane. And then you get to do your hedge fund and whoop their butts. So it's interesting. So see, most professional investors that are really good, the people that, you know, that I think you and I both respect are going to say like good investments, like watching the grass grow. Right. But I think the problem is within our industry, 
And just in general, there are some folks that say the opposite, that say that want to be active tactical traders and they have fancy charts with pretty pictures and outperformance. And the thing is like that stuff sells, okay? The problem is that the vast majority of that isn't real. I think that advisors create stories, they generate performance, whatever else. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of investors gravitate towards this idea that I want to be better than average. I'm not going to index. I'm going to beat the market. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is if you actually use index funds, you're going to beat the market on average. And that's not intuitive. But if you do this kind of tortoise versus hare approach, the tortoise is actually going to beat the hare on average. So to the extent to your earlier point that you can put on those blinders, you actually do end up winning more often than not. Yes, that's a very important point. So like basically what David is saying, you know, if you just buy all the stocks collectively in a low cost passive index fund and just hang on to it, you're going to on average beat your buddies performance. And you're just buying a like Vanguard total stock market. That's like as plain Jane, you buy all the stocks and it's super inexpensive nowadays. So you just basically are buying all the stocks and owning them and setting on them. On average, you're going to beat your buddy, especially your buddy that's trading stocks during the day. But I'm talking, we're talking about, you know, your buddies that are probably, you know, not doing anything too crazy. They're just playing around with their 401k mutual funds or something, which is interesting. I mean, I know, right? Like you think of the, well, I think in every other, so like my wife and I are watching The Last Dance now, the Michael Jordan documentary, yeah, um, which is a bit of a stretch for her, but it, it's so far so good. But like, you know, like people think about sports players and you think, oh, you know, like Michael Jordan was awesome at basketball. Like, you know, he goes out there and he wins. Well, you know, like, like the, the those same traits that don't carry over to investing like just because you beat the market last year or the year after that doesn't mean you're going to keep beating the market people like point to warren buffett well there's a reason he's an anomaly like mutual funds just don't tend to win out that are active over the long haul sure over the short term they do but the problem is we tend to get in too late i mean we saw this in the 90s where you know most investors get to the party too late you know by the time you open up your account you've already missed out on most of the gains i think that's what that's the problem is that, you know, individuals that stay invested realize the full benefit of the market. Individuals that, that try to time it, you know, show up too late and then end up getting burned. Yeah. I wish I could embed the image of GameStop stock in there. I was looking at the chart of it. It's like the perfect example of what you just described. I mean, it's hyper extreme example. Like it happened very fast, but it's like way up and then Here's the thing about GameStop. So I, again, like I say, like I can count on my hand that, you know, I wanted to, to effectively short GameStop, okay, because it had risen way beyond its fundamentals. But here's the thing. It was incredibly expensive to do so. So I'm not going to go into like all the ways that you can make money when stocks go down, but like the put options were incredibly expensive. They cost over $100 for a seven-day expiration. And the point is that it's really hard to make money off of things like that when they happen. And so, you know, I knew that it was overvalued. The entire market knew that it was overvalued, Everybody. but we couldn't do anything about it. You know, like like people that want to make money when it goes down, you just couldn't do it. And so like part of this thing is that yes, it went up, but you only made money on that if you owned it like before it went up. And then when it went up, you couldn't make money if it went down. And so to me, I was shocked. I mean, you know, I've seen that that chart before of GameStop. And I know that a lot of people that, that, that see that, that are novice investors are thinking to themselves, I could have bought GameStop at 50. Why didn't I do that? I'm looking at that thinking, what moron bought GameStop at 400? 
<laughs> right. So I don't yeah. look at I don't look at the appreciation. I look at like who in the world would pay like 10x for a stock two weeks later when nothing happened with its business. Yeah. Well, our volume of it got to the point where we had a handful of clients asking us to help them buy GameStop. And but it was directly correlated to the price. Like the price was low. Nobody even knew what it was unless, you know, you get games, but got high, the higher it went when it was like, you know, in the hundreds and got all hyped up. That's when people were asking about it. And that's what hap happens in that kind of hype scenarios. People want to buy it when it's really high, which is the reverse of do, do, no, people buy and hold. Do, you, do I like, so like, if I'm going to buy a car, you know, am I like, oh my gosh, the car is up 400% in price. I'm going to go buy it right now. Like it's anything else. It's absurd to buy things when they are like doubled in price. But for some reason for stocks, people just go nuts. And so I think yeah. like when it comes to investing, like we are our own worst enemy. Like, like it doesn't make any sense. Why would you buy GameStop when it's gone up to 200%? I, I just like, I'm probably like too rational. Like, I just don't get it. But people do, like, they get excited about it. They're going to so they keep it up. But why? Like, like why do you think GameStop is going to keep doubling? What if it price? goes up another 200? Because I heard that they're ready. The so yeah. I was actually very wrong on how fast it corrected. So, like, my brother in law is a Robinhood account. We were texting about it like every day. And I'm like, oh, this won't <laughs> last, you know, this won't last more than a few days. It lasted actually longer than I thought. But, you know, the ending was a foregone conclusion. The only question was how high it went in the interim and for how. It was fun to watch, but. <laughs> Well, it's all like, but it's also like, it's like scary, you know, because I think that's not what, you know, I don't want people to like think they're going to find the next GameStop. I don't want people to get out there now and like actively trade. And so to me, it just sends the wrong message when that's so prominent in the media because it gets people thinking about doing this themselves and how you can double your money overnight. Well, you're gambling again. So, right, right. Well, as we wrap up, I'm curious, where can people find you? We talked. A lot about uh, investing and whatnot, but we didn't get to talk much about you. You're you have a very good website online that kind of breaks down your research. And but what are you up to now? Where can people find you? Well, I have a website. It's pretty terrible. You're being way too generous there. You can what does have a? First of all, everybody that's listening to this needs to go look at it because the list of <laughs> I was scanning through it before we talked. I'm like, I don't even think we can talk about all this stuff. <laughs> this guy's researched everything there is to research in investing. So it's a quite quite a lengthy list and you got to check it out. But. It's davidandblanchett.com. I'm on LinkedIn too. You can connect with me that way. But I work for an RIA, which is a registered investment advisor. So my options when it comes to redistribution of materials is limited. But I would say the website's the best approach, but I only update that like twice a year. So yeah. What are you up to now research? So I, you know, I try to write at least 10 to 12 papers a year. You know, I used to travel a lot with like conferences and clients and stuff, but you know, since COVID hit, I've been kind of shut down now for, I've run it on 11 months. And so I've got, you know, investing like in a low yield world. I've got stuff on risk aversion, on dividend stocks, on safe withdrawal rates. I, you know, there's no method of my madness. I just kind of think to myself what sounds cool. And I kind of go after that. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So if any of y'all want to geek out on, <laughs> David's got all kinds of good stuff to geek out on. So, well, thanks for joining me, David. It's been fun chatting through all this. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, 
I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.